Good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all from this uh, angle for a change. Uh, as Brad said, today I'm going to be talking about work. And for many of us, work, uh, school, training, preparation for work or preparation for a career is what brought us to Philadelphia. Um, after years of studying, internships, other jobs, licensing exams, more exams, um, and maybe a cross-country move or two, um, we work here now. And uh, maybe you're at an in-between place where you're still in one of your internships or you're still in school, or maybe most of your working years are behind you. Uh, even if that's the case, it's likely that work has been a big part of who you are um, and what you've done with your time. Uh, whether we get paid for it or not, Many of us spend most of our work, waking hours working. So what is our experience of work? Anne-Marie Slaughter, president of the New America Foundation, a think tank, former Princeton University professor, State Department uh, worker, and uh, formerly proponent of the idea that women still can't have it all, has written a book called Unfinished Business. And recently, she, was written about, she wrote an article in the New York Times called um, A Toxic Work World. And she said, for many Americans, life has become all competition all the time. Workers across the socioeconomic spectrum, from hotel housekeepers to surgeons, have stories about toiling 12 to 16-hour days, often without overtime pay, and experiencing anxiety attacks and exhaustion. Public health experts have begun talking about stress as an epidemic. Although I'm not a hotel housekeeper or a surgeon, sometimes what I see, what I experience, what my clients see, and what they experience feels very much like that picture that Anne-Marie Slaughter painted. Uh, maybe you can identify with some of that too anxiety, sleeplessness, no time to sleep. Uh, some of that's my reality these days. Uh, and sometimes we're working, um, our, we, as we're working in this matter, as we're working in a culture where uh, we're expected to spend a lot of time uh, doing work, and as Americans, we really value hard work. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, we do what it takes to get the job done. Um, sometimes we have a lot of questions about what work has be become to us, um, what work is becoming, um, and uh, what's becoming of us because of our work. So as Brad said, this talk is part of a series in which we're exploring the theme of legacy outliving our life, and we're invited to consider what we're living for, um, what difference it all makes. So we'll step back, and I'm going to raise a lot of questions today, and I won't have all the answers, but we will look at places where we can find them. And even against or with that stark description of the modern workplace and the culture that I briefly described, today I'll be arguing that work is good not just for our bodies and not just for our souls, but also for our neighbors and our world. And I hope that by the end of this talk, you will have a renewed sense of purpose for your work and a few ideas for engaging 
whatever your burning questions are about faith, work, and legacy. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to inform our thoughts, our questions, uh, and this moment. Would you capture our attention, our hearts, my words, and thoughts, and uh, be with us during this time as we are thinking about faith and work and looking to you. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a question that adults ask children and children ask each other starting at a very early age. Probably the first question that I had about work was, what in the world do I want to be? And I don't know how you felt about that question, but I was always conflicted. I wanted to be everything. I thought that anything could be interesting, and I wanted to be open to all of the options. So I uh, just couldn't make a decision. And I have a really handy tool that shows my indecisiveness from an early age. My grandparents bought me a school days book when I was maybe four, just before I started Uh, before I started kindergarten. In this book, it's a memory book for where I can keep mementos and keepsakes from each of my school years. So for each year, there's a page with a pocket that I could fill with my report cards, certificates, awards, small pieces of art, notes from friends or favorite teachers. And on the front of the pocket, pocket, there's a space for my yearbook photo. Uh, And on the back of each pocket, there was a There were a few questions. Who are my best friends? What are my hobbies? Uh, Who, what were my favorite classes? And the question at the bottom of that pocket was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, This is a multiple choice question, so uh, there weren't necessarily wrong answers, but there um, were good suggestions. And every year I checked all or almost all of the boxes. In order to be what I thought I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have to be a crime-fighting nurse who taught school during the week and rescued kittens from trees on the weekends while inventing a cure for the common cold at night and writing a best-selling novel one summer before taking award-winning photos of my sculptures before moving into the log cabin that I built with my own two hands. (laughs) So I have one job now, and I think I'm busy. I think I would have been even busier if I'd gone ahead and pursued a path like that. In any event, that question, what do I want to be, what will I be, what will I do with my time, um, took up a lot of my energy. And uh, by the end of seventh grade, I decided I wanted a definitive answer, and I wanted to be a population biologist. So there it was. I had a decision. I'd work at the intersection of ecology and genetics. And I stuck with that decision until my junior year of high school when I discovered sociology, at which point I knew I was likely to go to college. I was likely to major in the social sciences. Then I went to a small liberal arts college, once again keeping my options open because you can do anything with a liberal arts degree, uh, and that's also proven true. I didn't have to declare a major right away. So that gave me time to take French, art history, economics, and even biology. Um, Ultimately, I did major in sociology. Um, And as Brad told you, I'm now a lawyer. And I certainly can't stand here and say that I've always known that I wanted to be a lawyer. At some point, what do you want to be when you grow up became 
what's your major? What do you want to do with that? And I didn't have the answers then, but over time, some things have come together. Uh, these days, if I'm at a party or if I'm meeting one of you for the first time, we might talk about what we do. What do you do? And it's a simple question that doesn't always have a simple answer. And uh, these are this question, what do you do? What do you want to be when you grow up? They're just two of the questions that are regularly raised about work. Uh, and uh, they're just a couple of the questions we carry with us. So some of you joined me for a breakout session um, in August or the, during the Reimagining Faith Conference. And that Saturday afternoon, we took time to engage some of our questions about faith and work. We asked, is it even okay to talk about faith and work? Because it feels taboo to mix the two, like church and state or business and pleasure. Um, how do we share our faith at work? What if my faith and work are pulling me in different directions? And how do I know what work is good to do? What work should I do? We're probably not going to get to all those questions, but let's start at the beginning. Let's lay the groundwork for responding to those questions. So in your Bible or your handheld portable electronic device, if you would, go with me to the beginning, to Genesis 1. We're going to read uh, from Genesis 1, 1. A little bit later in Genesis 1 and 2, and eventually we'll get to Genesis 3. So, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very familiar words to many of us. Skipping to verse 26. This is after God has separated light from darkness and uh, created animals and living things. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day... God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So this brings us to my first point. Work is good, because work is a gift that God gave to us. In Genesis... 
what we've just read, we've seen and heard that the author presents words and images that are familiar, and we're introduced to a God who's described as a worker, a God who creates by speaking, gardening, forming shapes out of the dust. And anyone who has um, heard these words before, they might not resonate, but we'll dig into exactly what those words say and mean. If you've applied for a job before, written or revised a resume, um, you might be familiar with the common advice to use strong, active verbs. Uh, An aptly named article entitled 185 Powerful Verbs That Will Make Your Resume Awesome (laughs) includes uh, 185 verbs, a few of which are produced, engineered, administered, boosted, redesigned, saved, enhanced. I could go on. Um, But let's get back to Genesis. Um, We find plenty of verbs here as well. Um, We've got make, create, multiply, fill, subdue, have dominion over, which is sometimes translated rule. Uh, And also in these same chapters of Genesis 1 and 2, we have speak, name, till, tend, keep, and maintain. Many of these words appear multiple times. They refer to the work that God does. And at the end of Genesis 1, to the work that God gives to people. As we read, God made humans in God's image. When he did so, God gave us work that is like the work that God did in creation and after it. God began with nothing and created a world. He then gave instructions to us to continue that work. God creates humans to do work that mirrors the work that he did, just as we bear his image as if we were in a mirror. Although creation began in a garden, and these images of tilling perhaps evoke thoughts of soil but not our daily grind, maybe in an office sitting at a computer or uh, driving a bus or agonizing over um, a poem that won't quite come together. Um, These verbs could apply to our work context, too. During a job interview, we might be asked to explain how our work in the past has prepared us for the tasks associated with the jobs we're applying for. We all want to have transferable skills that we can use to demonstrate our qualifications for that new job. And as with many job skills, of the monster.com keyword variety, those verbs could apply to work in any kind or or any sector. And I think one of the things that Genesis gives us about work and one of the responses that Genesis gives us to our questions about what work is good to do is that although our society assigns status or value to particular jobs and titles, God didn't make that distinction in the garden. By introducing a God who creates and cultivates life, both by speaking and by dirtying his hands in the dust, we see a God who does both knowledge work and manual labor. What God did was good. What God created was good. God valued all of that work. And he identified humans as valuable by creating us in his image 
and giving us the gift of that very same work, something meaningful to do with our time and a chance to partner with him in creating this beautiful world. So although we opened with an image of work that leaves us anxious and exhausted, recent research supports the idea that work in general is good, as in Genesis. Scientists are studying the effects of work on the body, on health and well-being, and finding that work, to borrow an old slogan from milk ads, does a body good. Work provides intellectual stimulation, activity, purpose, positive social engagement, uh, and a baseline level of stress keeps us on our toes. Um, Sometimes we have too much stress. We're getting there. But... uh, Here's, I think, the good news from this, uh, this section, uh, that work, all work, any work, is good. Uh, in working, we are fulfilling something that God gave us to do. Uh, affirmatively, in going back to Genesis 1, 28, after God created people... He blessed them, and then he said, be fruitful and multiply. Last week's sermon on leaving a legacy had to do with parenting, and that's one way to multiply, of course. Um, Filling the earth and subduing it, ruling over the earth. Um, Those are things that God did. And in creation, God separated the land from the water. Um, God created order out of this world that he was making, And he invites us to do the same, tells us to do the same. And uh, we see that God commissions us to carry on that work. Although God had created a world and could have just carried on the same way, could have created trains just like he created trees, um, God left that part up to us. Uh, And he created a world, um, as Tim Keller said um, in a book that he wrote called Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work, um, that um, these words that that are used in this passage of subduing, having dominion over, ruling, filling, um, those words indicate that although this world that God made was good, um, it was still to a great degree undeveloped. And God left creation with deep, untapped potential. And he gave us the mandate or the, um, to use our work to continue the work that God had done. Um, so if God gave us work, gave us a garden, gave us a world, um, and, and if all work is good, um, then can we still, and we receive that as a gift, um, then what do we do now? Because we know that now, um, now our world exists in a place where of brokenness. Um, in Genesis 3, we learn that the ground is cursed, um, and verse 17 says that In toil, we shall eat of the ground all the days of our lives. Verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, 
and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. So work existed before that moment of brokenness, before people, uh, before this moment where sin enters the picture, where man rebelled against God, and we experience, we begin to experience things like anxiety and selfishness and natural disasters and chaos in the midst of the order that God created. Some of that chaos and disorder we feel in our work. So here, what do we take with this good, this good gift, now tarnished by disorder, by sin? What do we now do with that? Well, that work that we have, um, the work that is good, was good, is still good. And it's now a gift that God gave us and a gift that we give to the world. Um, Whenever we bring order out of that chaos, when we draw out creative potential, when we leave something better than when we found it, we're following God's pattern of creative cultural development. God put us here to work and tend our own garden. Our garden is the city of Philadelphia and the environs. Uh, and there's plenty of work to be done here. When we recognize um, that God put us here, gave us resources, our time, our talent, our education, um, the infrastructure around us, um, then we can accept work as a privilege and... We can, knowing that, um, knowing what we know about God and God's creativity, we can enter into our work with a spirit of creativity as well. So, if we want to start at the beginning, where work was good, and if we acknowledge that uh, that work is now distorted, then we also, and we know that our God is creative. Our God uh, cares about us in the world. We also know that this is a God who's working to restore all things. So, I want to uh, I want to fast forward to the New Testament. We started in Genesis, and in Genesis. We met a God who created the world. We saw sin enter into the picture, and we saw that work, among other things, are now tarnished. But we also know that this God uh, cared enough to make, uh, to make a way for us to move back to that place where all things can be beautiful, where we can see glimpses of this perfect world that God created once again. In Luke, we see Jesus. Jesus who says that he came to restore all things. Specifically, he quotes from passages of the Jewish scripture in Isaiah, and he says that his purpose is to bring good news to the poor, 
to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are things that Jesus came to do. They're part of the work, the continuing work of God in the world, and they're part of what we can do through our work as well. So, as stewards of creation, with a call to serve by working in the way that God worked, um, we can use our resources, our influence, and position to join the creative work that God initiated by serving and stewarding them for the good of the world. And in the end, that will be to our good as well. So let's take a moment to revisit uh, this idea of a garden and to think about gardening in modern life. Many of my backyard gardening experiences in Philly have been in a small backyard covered with cement um, where I had pots, small pots, pots that could hold one thing or maybe two. Maybe I'd have enough dill to make a recipe or two here and there. Um, But earlier this fall, I had a chance to visit my sister in Virginia, where backyards are a bit bigger, and uh, she had planted a large vegetable garden. And uh, I joined her in harvesting some things from her garden. Um, We found some tomatoes that were ripe. That's pretty easy to tell if they're red or if they're supposed to be orange, and they're really orange, then it's time to harvest those. Um, but the root vegetables are my favorite. Um, the leaves of the beets and sweet potatoes, the tops of the carrots, um, they can help us figure out whether there's anything to harvest at all. The carrot tops are still small, so we left them in the ground. The beets had been picked over by the birds, and there's nothing left to harvest. The sweet potatoes, though, uh, they'd sent vines all across the side yard, and so we started digging. And we didn't stop for almost an hour. There were sweet potatoes piled upon sweet potatoes, piled upon sweet potatoes. uh, And we placed them on newspaper to cure. That was the end of September. But um, earlier this week, I guess just a few days ago, my sister posted on Facebook um, a video and a photo documenting the first sweet potato pie that she'd baked from the sweet potatoes that she grew in her own backyard. So uh, sometimes we tend to garden. Um, When we water it, when we pick off the beetles and the bugs um, that would do harm to the crop, when we pull the weeds that would otherwise stifle growth, uh, when we harvest the fruit, or in this case vegetables, um, sometimes we get the payoff. We get a sweet potato and maybe we even get a pie. So um, when life began in the garden, the potential for sweet potato pie was there. Um, God equipped us to make it. Um, And although my sister won't have beets for her salads or carrots, at least not yet, they could still grow, um, she will have sweet potato pie. And that's some of what (laughs) sometimes our work pays off. Um, There are no guarantees that anything or everything that we plant will grow. Um, 
but we've been entrusted with creation and given the instruction to work. And sometimes we get some really good things like pie. Um, Although I haven't seen the recipe that my sister followed, I know that there's more to that pie than sweet potatoes. Um, Although my sister grew the sweet potatoes, she didn't grow the wheat or the sugar cane or the other ingredients in her pie. She also didn't make the pie pan or the oven or even the mixing bowl. And she didn't produce the electricity or gas needed to heat her oven to make the pie. All of those things were available to my sister because of the work of others. From the folks who stocked the shelves at her grocery store, to the folks who were harvesting the sugar cane, um, to the folks at the power company who forecasted in advance the energy needs um, that would apply to Newport News, Virginia, and ensured adequate energy production. Um, It took their work, their faithful work, to make my sister's pie as well. That's how our work can become a gift to others. Um, When we join God in his creative work, we can make good things for others, and we can help them make good things as well. So, although work is good, and God gave us this gift of work, and uh, although our work um, can be a good gift that we give to the world, work is not the only good gift. God also gave us the gift of boundaries. Um, One really important one is rest. So, we're made in the image of God, but we're not God. And ultimately, we have to place our hope and our trust in God rather than in our own abilities to provide for or protect ourselves and our families and to restore and renew the world. This is all within God's job description, uh, and I receive that as a gift. We don't have to do it all, and with this comes the freedom from overwork and workaholism. And with that gift comes the reminder that our goal and our focus is God himself. When he gave us work, God modeled for us a rhythm of work and rest. In fact, a six to one ratio. We're here on a Sunday morning because this God who created the world rested after doing so. I have some coworkers and friends who are Jewish. They keep kosher, they keep the Sabbath. And um, I have had the privilege of joining them for Friday evening dinners at times. Um, they leave work early on Fridays to prepare a meal. They don't work on Saturdays. They don't use electricity. Friday nights are for family and friends and food. Saturdays, they walk to services and spend more time with the people that they love. I admire their discipline, and I'm grateful for their example. And that is something that I'm hoping to carve out for myself. God set some time apart for work and other time for rest. Work is good, but it's not the only good thing. Too much work is not a good thing. 
With rest, we find perspective. We connect with the people who are important to us. We enjoy the world around us, and we remember that we were made for other things besides work. All too often, our society tells us that our job is the source of our social status, of fame, security, self-worth, and identity, that that's what we are. We are what we do. That those who work the most will be the most successful, but that's not what we've seen in Genesis. God tells us who we are, that we are of infinite worth, and that he'll provide When we're made in the image of God, we're given value. We're given an identity. When I rest, I find it's easier to maintain that perspective and to believe the truth that I'm not my work and I'm not what I do. That's good news for me, and I hope that you receive it as good news too. Another thing that happens when I rest is that I have a chance to see what God is doing in me and through my work. And I get to learn a little bit about who it is that God made me to be. Because work is one of the ways that God keeps forming, tending, and cultivating you and me. Tim Keller, who I'm referring to a lot, (laughs) He wrote in the same book that work is one of the ways that we make ourselves useful to others rather than just living a life for ourselves. Also, work is one of the ways we discover who we are because it's through work that we come to understand our distinct abilities and gifts, a major component in our identities. So without rest, I don't personally have the capacity to figure out that other stuff, to figure out how I'm being shaped and formed, to figure out who I am in the midst of my work. And because we're also given rest, we're freed from that pressure, the external pressure to work around the clock, um, from having to prove ourselves through our work and secure our identity through work because God's already given us that identity. Rest can remind us of that. So there's another, um, there's another book that um, I've been reading called Culture Making, written by um, a guy named Andy Crouch. Uh, and one of the things that he wrote about was his wife, who is a physics professor. And he talks about how our work can make a difference on many different scales and about how how the way that we work can also make a difference. So his wife has students, and she lives a life for them in which she's modeling hard work and good rest rather than frantic work and fitful procrastination. And I could use... A little of that in my life. Uh, And I think for me, some of the good news about work is that I can work hard, but ultimately it's up to God. And in my line of work, 
I'm a lawyer for people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford a lawyer. And I interact with people usually when they're at their lowest point. Um, I'm not a criminal defense attorney, but a lot of folks will come to me um, because they've been sued. And they come to me because they're poor and they've been sued because they're poor. And I get to be the person who says, you still have rights, you still have a voice, and you don't have to go through this alone. Uh, and my struggle has been saying no. Because if I say no, these folks might not have lawyers. But what I have to be reminded of is that it's not all up to me. And I still have to believe that God is going to use someone else's work, someone that there's another way to work out the solution for the person who's sitting in front of me when I have to say no, as hard as that is. Um, and I'm learning to rest in that. <laughs> so although I would love for my work to have large-scale impact. I'd love to address all of the injustices that plague the poor. I'd love to eradicate poverty. Um, that's not my job title. That's not all up to me. That doesn't mean that my work can't contribute to that, that it can't make a difference in some way, um, that it doesn't make sense to try. Um, but. There is freedom in accepting that reality that it's not all about me, it's not all up to me. So one of my goals for work is to rest. And one of the things that I hope um, that you all will, will carry with you is this idea that God designed us through a cycle of rest and work. It's not a new idea. But sometimes we have to really work hard to actually accomplish the rest side of that. The work is what our culture drives us to. So when I opened this talk, I presented two very simple questions about work. What do you want to be? Um, and what do you do? And uh, I now have some answers to those questions. Um, but there are other questions that aren't <laughs> so easy to answer. And I imagine that you have some questions of your own. I'll give you a few more. Um, one, so I think as you're, I hope you'll take some time to reflect. Ask your questions, get them all out there. And uh, also, Figure out what questions you have about faith and work, about leaving a legacy. What are some of the gifts that God has given you through your work or through the work of others? Think about how your work can be good for your neighbors. Um, through your work, what is God showing you about who he is and who you are? What are you making, creating, what are you leaving behind through your work? Um, do you have the ability to change the culture of your workplace if it's that frantic or frenetic, hectic place? 
So reflect on your questions and ask God for what you need. Do you need patience, hope, sight, understanding, clarity, peace, balance? Do you need work? Do you need rest? And join with others to talk about your journey of faith and work. Um, Brad mentioned that Becca and I are um, meeting on Thursday morning with folks. We're working through one of Tim Keller's books about work. And I usually find that Thursdays are the high point of my work week because I leave breakfast refreshed and renewed uh, and with new energy for my work and new perspective on it. One of the things that we talked about last week was um, work as, uh, was what we could do um, at our jobs um, in the midst of our questions. Um, how do we do good work? How, does our, how can our work be a gift to others? And um, we talked about the idea that work can be a way to love our neighbors. Um, if we're doing our work well, um, we could be writing parking tickets and we'd still be loving our neighbor. For more on that, you might have to come meet with us on a Thursday. So I've talked about work a lot. Um, just with the words on the page, Microsoft Word told me that work appeared 167 times in this draft. Um, so um, briefly about legacy. God made us part of his legacy by creating us, creating us in his image, giving us work to do. It's like the work that God did. And giving us a chance to use our work for the common good and to restore creation. Um, so um, by doing our work, doing it well, and resting well, um, hopefully we'll get to see more of who God designed us to be and we'll get to see more of the restoration that we know Jesus came to announce um, and that we get to be part of. So I'm just going to close in prayer. Lord, thank you for life and for um, the breath that was breathed into us when we were created. We thank you for work. We thank you for giving us a model of work and rest. We pray that you would be the one who gives our life and our work meaning, that when we struggle with our questions about faith and work, when we encounter our culture that has different expectations of faith, of work, and uh, that you would be the one who we can take our questions to. You'll be the one will give us what we need while we hold those questions. You'll be the one to answer those questions. Um, may you be honored through our work, and may our work be a service to you and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>